0: Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 5, Episode 19. This is the Reviews Special for Saturday, the 20th of May, 2023. And coming up this week, I'll be looking at the good, the bad and the ugly of my book reviews. I'll be sharing some of the best and the worst reviews that I've received on some of my thrillers and I'll be attempting to draw some conclusions and share some lessons learned in my writing career. By the way, and I'll be saying this only once during the show, make sure you listen right to the very end. Okay, let's start then with a word about reviews. Reviews used to hurt me a lot. If you've listened to this podcast for, is it eight years it's been going now, however many years it's been going, there was a time where I daren't even look at my reviews. And in fact, as a general rule of life, I don't really look at my reviews anymore. I do, however, count the stars at the top, mainly of my box sets, because that's really, I guess, what's dominated my marketing in in recent years. I used to take reviews very personally and I equated my poor reviews with my value as a writer. So in fact this has been a really interesting exercise for me to go through because it's made me confront my reviews and for thrillers and I've been really pleasantly surprised, to be honest with you, that, that I don't really have that many reviews. So There's several books in my catalogue that I've always, in my mind, written off as as inverted commas failures, but actually doing this exercise for this episode, I've realised actually they're not, and they're way better reviewed than I thought they were, so that's quite good news because it gives me some new units to to flog and to push. In the early days, in the very early days, I felt like I wanted to argue with reviewers and always make the case in my defense. If they said something that was, uh, you know, unfair or just plain wrong, I'd get quite frustrated and want to to argue it out with them. I didn't ever put anything, obviously, on the reviews. That was my, my feeling, my impulse. That, of course, would have been completely pointless and useless. Now, like all new authors, and I don't know where you are in your writing career when you're listening to this, but when I started, you start with no books and no reviews, You launch your first book out into the world. You keep your you know hold your breath. You hope that it's not going to get trashed and slated. And every single review in those early days is hard won, and it really can hurt you if it's a, a bad review or a mediocre review, because the reviews are so few in number. I, I had a, a fairly recent experience where I would launched a, a ten pack of my books. I've taken it off sale now because I don't need it as part of my my marketing mix. But I remember when I launched that book, I think the first review I got on it was from somebody who'd bought the twelve pack and was had marked it one star. I think it was because they'd they'd bought the ten pack and there was there was it was still good value at ninety nine p because you couldn't get the, the the one book. There was one book difference between. Uh, The one book that wasn't included in any other of my box sets at the time. And even paying 99p for the 10-pack, even if you've read the other nine books, you still got that last book cheaper than you could get it. But this person put one star and said, oh, you know, I bought this already. I've read these books. So that was factually incorrect. And also, of course, if you realise that, you just refund, wouldn't you? You just, oh, right, I've made a mistake, I'll refund. But instead, they put a one star review. And that, of course, was hugely damaging and hugely discouraging to me when i just launched that book, I was hoping to replicate the success I had with the 12-pack on that. So that's probably the most recent poor review that I felt had, had really hurt me. Because you're so vulnerable. When you've only got a handful of reviews on a book, you're really vulnerable. And you could get a five and then maybe a one and a three. And it brings it, you know, those stars right down. Until you get more reviews, you don't get any kind of resilience there. Now, since learning to sell a lot of books using ads, I've reached brand new conclusions about reviews, and I'm going to be sharing those with you today. In this episode, I'm going to use the AI voices from the Natural Readers AI website, and you'll find that at naturalreaders.com. And I'm going to use these AI voices to to voice up my five-star and my one-star reviews. Now, these AI voices aren't perfect, uh, and I've got them to read out the reviews exactly as they're written. So every now and then, you may hear a little we- weird bit or a mispronunciation, but you, you know, you'll know you get the gist, and it's much easier to listen to, I think, than me reading out the reviews. I think it will be a little bit dense. I think it's going to be a lot easier to have a variety of AI voices so that you can, you can retain and, and follow along with the reviews that I've got. Now the other thing I need to say to you is that the gender of the AI voices used are completely random so if you hear a male voice, that doesn't mean that was a male reviewer and vice versa with a female reviewer i've I've just literally gone through my list of reviews I cut and pasted them out of Amazon and I just went I've just tried to give you a variety of voices to make it easier to listen to so so the gender of the the AI is not indicative of the gender of the reviewer completely random it's completely random how I've done all of this. Again, I've told you this already, but just to emphasize, these are thriller reviews only. I haven't included my sci-fi or my non-fiction. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is that I think that if we took a look at my sci-fi, that's something I might do on a future occasion, depending on how well this uh, experimental episode goes. Uh, I wrote my sci-fi. The first six books were Secret Bunker Trilogy and The Grid Trilogy. And I think, you know, it's fair to say I was probably making a lot of basic errors then, I make a lot of errors now, but I think, you know, I I know there was probably quite a lot of head-hopping in those days, Uh, that's one example of of things, and probably my storytelling technique was not as confident as it is now, so I suspect that the reviews might skew lower on my sci-fi, but that's something we'll find out if if we look at that in any detail in future, so these are thriller reviews only, and by the time I wrote Don't Tell Meg, I think Don't Tell Meg, I'm not sure, was probably my seventh book, uh, obviously my first thriller, but my seventh book, so I had at least got in my stride, I'd gone through all the pain of of getting your tenses right, you know, not head hopping, or, or trying not to head up as much of the time, um, you know, all the, all the, all the things that, that make you fall over when you first start writing, I'd hopefully got through most of those by that stage, so thrillers only, and the reviews are completely plucked out of the air, I haven't gone, I haven't sort of analysed all my reviews in any any detail here, I've literally, for the books that I've chosen, maybe just clicked on the one stars, and then grabbed a couple of one stars, clicked on the five stars, just grabbed a couple of five stars, I I haven't been, uh, you know, analytical in any way about the reviews. I've just taken, all let's have a couple of fives, a couple of ones, and just give you a feel for what people are saying. So I haven't spent ages selecting any of these. It's not scientific is what I'm saying. Now, at the end of the episode, when we've gone through all the reviews, I'll tell you how I deal with reviews nowadays And I'm also going to have a little competition for you at the end where I'm going to ask you to spot my bad reviews in among some blockbuster author one-star reviews. So I hope this is going to be a lot of fun. It's an experimental episode for me, but I've certainly learned a lot preparing this episode. It really has actually made me feel a lot better about my writing. It's been a very useful exercise for me. Let's then start with two years after, which I would count, or it is my lowest reviewed thriller so two years after is a female protagonist book and it gets 3.9 out of five stars and I, I this is a an audience splitter because it has an unhappy ending it has a very difficult ending and I I've not changed that ending. I could very easily just change the last chapter make make it a happy ending and conclude it and interestingly it gets uh, better reviewed if you want over the course of the 12 pack of books where it's included in that selection of stories nobody ever particularly moans about it within the context of 12 stories and I did it I'd said this to you before but if you haven't heard me say this before In the old days of Star Trek, The Next Generation, in the first series of Star Trek, it was just a big joke, because if you had a red, was it a red tunic on, uh, you were going to die in the series, but if you were a main character, there was just no jeopardy there at all, you knew the main characters wouldn't die, whereas by the time we got to Star Trek, The Next Generation, I remember when Tasha Yar uh, died in in that, she did come back in future episodes with a little bit of a twist, but when Tasha died, it was just a real shock, because people just didn't die in TV series at the time. And so I wanted to, because I got a body of work, I wanted to have one book where it wasn't a happy ending because I felt that if you read a lot of my books together and and there are arguments for and against this, I just wanted it to unsettle you so that you didn't always feel it was gonna happily resolve. That's what I felt if you'd read a lot of my books, that's why I did it and that's why I've left it that way. Now, you could always also say, well, actually, isn't that going against your brand? Because your brand is that everything's resolved at the end. So there's, there's arguments both ways, as far as this is concerned. But I think that because this book has a difficult ending, it really doesn't give you that sense of well wellbeing that, that the other books do then that's why I think this is my most poorly reviewed book at 3.9 stars. So let's have a listen to the one star reviews first, starting with the AI voice of Oliver.
1: Disturbing story with a horrible twist ending. So many questions. Why didn't the main character's father move in with her to share expenses and lessen the financial burdens for both of them? Why not show the police the images and threats she's been getting? Why ask the demon teenager to babysit her precious child? How could her place of business hire such a cartoonish figure to run the company? I cannot recommend this book at all. What a horrible book. First, with the cuss words and then making fun of those with mental health issues. I would never recommend this author and
0: will delete from my Kindle. Okay, so, uh, they were pretty blunt weren't they? What's really interesting about that book is that I thought, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought that that book had loads of poor reviews on it. But if I look at it now, I haven't looked at it for some time, it has 144 star ratings at the moment. So it's been rated 144 times. It has a 3.9 out of 5 average. And if I scroll down to the one stars, let's have a look at the one stars. Those are the only two written one star reviews. That is it. Two one star written reviews, now let's take a look at those reviews, so the first one says disturbing story with a horrible twist ending, okay let me get, take you to the blurb for that book, the blurb says if you go back to that, let's just go and find my blurb, so I'm clicking around on the page here, the blurb says the top line, so above the fold, an unsettling psychological thriller with a chilling twist, and I'll also point out at the bottom, uh, I put this on most of my books, in, in bold at the bottom of the blurb, please be aware that this book does not have a happy ending. It also contains mild violence, bad language and sexual references. So I'm extremely clear that you ain't going to like the ending of this book before you even start it and again you could argue, should you be telling people that? Should you even be telling people that about the ending? Well, so this reader doesn't like the horrible twist ending but she has been warned about it beforehand and then she says so many questions and then she's got loads of questions there about the book but those are kind of things well hang on you know, if people didn't make mistakes, if people didn't do stupid things, there would be no story, would there just be no story left, so this is the whole point, it's the whole point of the book, the whole point of a fictional story, is that people do stupid things, or get into scrapes that they wouldn't in real life, because if we wrote real life, it would be boring, and there would be no book at all, so she said she cannot recommend this book at all, and that's, you know, that's absolutely fine, what I would suggest there is, if, I'd say, have you read the blurb properly? Because the blurb did warn you that it was going to be unsettling and not very pleasant. And then also, have you ever read a fiction book before? Because actually, weird things happen in fiction books. That's why we read books. And then the second reviewer, their headline says horrible. So what a horrible book. Cuss words. uh, If if you, I I warned you of cuss words. I said there were cuss words in there. Uh, My books, I would generally say are rated 15, and then um, this is the one that I do disagree with, but this is, you know, you're not going to be able to argue with that, making fun of those with mental health issues, I mean, absolutely not, absolutely not, and that's that reader's perception, now, I can't argue the toss about that, you know, I just have to accept that that's what somebody says, Uh, but absolutely not, I, you know, I would not do that, Uh, end of story, and if somebody could tell me something in my book, if somebody wrote to me and said, I felt that you dealt with this insensitively Um, when when it was a serious issue like that, then I would review it and change it if I was in the wrong. Uh, But obviously that reader feels that it was uh, making fun. And again, I'd have to argue with that because I I just simply don't think it is. And I took great care not to, and I wouldn't do that or ever want to do that so uh, again you know what 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 can you do uh, these people just don't like the story uh, they're never going to like the story there's nothing I could do to make them like the story so they've they've marked it as being one star now again I'll just point this out I don't know whether it means anything or not but those both reviews are both from the United States so again There may be uh, a cultural element coming in here. It's a very uh, British workplace book. All all, all my books, with the exception of now you see her, are very British, uh, very English. Uh, So again, that might be a kind of, um, you know, lost in translation um, kind of element to those books. I I can't prove that, but it's just worthy of mention that both those reviews are from the US and this is a, a, a UK written book. Okay, you'll be pleased to hear that it gets much better. And although those were the only written one-star reviews for that book, I had a lot more to choose from when it came to the five-star reviews for that book. And I was actually really surprised. I was quite down about that book, thinking, oh, it's not reviewed very well. And actually, I've got some great reviews. So let's listen to the good reviews now. These are both five-star reviews. The first one being read by the AI voice of Libby.
2: What a cracking book. Read it in two sittings. Loved the end. A shocking storyline, and yes very unsettling. Highly recommend.
3: Don't be fooled by this shorter novel, short it may be but it still packs a punch right where it hurts. From the very beginning Mr Teague is determined to give Rosie a really tough ride. It becomes very clear early in this novel that this is no light red. Having physically recovered from a devastating car accident, Rosie is attempting to return to work. But, things have changed and she has a new boss and new colleagues. Things go from bad to worse for Rosie as it becomes painfully obvious someone has it in for her. Someone who is determined she won't succeed. The questions are who and why. In the short space of this novel, Paul Teague manages to quickly build and maintain tension to keep the reader perched on the edge of their seat for the whole ride. As well as the intense and chilling atmosphere, there's the additional stress of watching Rosie fall victim to this sadistic behavior. She's been though so much it almost becomes heartbreaking witnessing further trauma and not being able to help her. An unsettling and hellish ride with no frills or unnecessary words. Just intense, chilling emotions form start to finish. Well,
0: what what can you say about that? You know, th- those readers enjoyed the book, they've outlined in great detail why they like the book. and you know, they, they've they kind of acknowledged what I said in the blurb, which is that this is going to be an unsettling book. And then uh, they've really got into the story. So that that's great. Now, as I said to you beforehand, I always thought that was a, I, I was a bit down about that book. I just didn't think it was, it, it had gone very well. You know, it just doesn't really, um, I, I just, I'd almost written it off, you know, as a book that um, just hadn't succeeded. You just have to put that one down to experience. But then when you look at the, the five-star ratings and you start to look at the five-star reviews. I mean, if I just go through some of the headlines, I've got way more five-star reviews that I could have taken there. Um, somebody said, it's it's really all there in the book's tab- tagline. Somebody's put, oh my God, somebody's put very good, packs a punch. Gripping Thriller, Get the Tissues Ready, uh, Brilliant, Superb, Recommended. The, these are the five-star reviews, so I haven't even gone delving into the, the mid-weight reviews. I've just ignored those for the sake of this episode. But I felt that that was a bad book. But now I've looked at those reviews, I'm thinking, oh, it's actually people like that book. Now, it's probably my my most mixed book in terms of the the breakdown of stars. So, With this, you've got 42% five-star, 24% four-star, 20% three-star, then 8% two-star, and 6% one-star. And then if I, there's another little two-star review here I can spot here, which the headline is "Hateful Ending. And the review, this is a UK review, interestingly, after what I said about the US. It says, the story seemed to run out of steam, and I thought the sad ending was a real cop-out. Disappointing read. And by the way, in the author notes of that book, I explain why I put that ending in and what it's modelled on, a film that I watch that it's modelled on, where you get this unsettling ending at the end. So uh, it's very, very uh, mixed, probably more than any of my books in terms of the distribution of star ratings. But again, the majority of people rank it at four star and five star, next is three star, then we go two, then we go one. So make make of that what you will, but a very interesting experience. I certainly feel a lot better about that book than I did beforehand. Okay, let's move on to a different book then. And this is Now You See Her. Now, this book is my best reviewed thriller. It's uh, reviewed at, let me just go and check this just to make sure this is bang up to date. It's reviewed at 4.6 out of 5. And if you go and look at one star and two star reviews for this book. Although when you hold your cursor over the star ratings, it says there's 296 ratings. Uh, you've got 69% at five star, 21% at four star, 8% at three star, and then 1% at two star, 1% at one star. If you then click on to have a look at what the comments are for two stars and one star, that there, there are no comments. So they're, they're star ratings given without any kind of comments. So I was unable to provide Uh, any one star or two star comments for this book, which is my best rated book. So in this case, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to four reviews, fairly short reviews. But these reviews are all five star reviews from Now You See Here. We'll start with the first review, which comes from the AI voice of Libby.
2: An absolutely brilliant book. It had me on the edge of my seat, that's for sure. Very well written with so many twists and turns.
1: Absolutely loved this book was enticed into the story right from the beginning. Would highly recommend this book and the series of other books Paul Teague has, as they are also brilliant easy readers. Another good read, Paul Teague's books
3: are fast-moving, exciting and enjoyable. Good characters and storyline. Well worth a read.
4: Absolutely loved this one. Wanted to crawl through the screen and help at some points. Proper plays out in your head, you can see this story vividly. Amazing writing would make an epic film.
0: Now again, looking at the reviews for this book, I was really surprised. I was really surprised to see how many five and four star reviews I've got. And also just how much people seem to love that book. Now, what's different about this book is that it was set in the United States. So maybe, maybe there's a lesson in there to say that I should be maybe writing, maybe UK readers are more used to absorbing the kind of culture and the the world of the US, maybe they're more accustomed to that than US readers are to uh, sort of a British world uh, when you're building worlds in, in, in this country, uh, you know, because what I've said to you before when I write my books is I can't, you can't have guns left, right and centre in a book that's based in the UK. You can have guns, but those guns would have been procured with great difficulty, usually. Um, you know, Not everybody carries a gun. They're a very rare thing in this country. People would be more likely to use uh, knives, um, things that you could find around the home, hammers, things like that. But guns would be very rare. And um, you know, somebody who's, light, who's got a gun licence might use a gun. If things turned sour in their life, or you might have an an organised group who would have guns, but guns are just not routine. Whereas in 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 the now you see her book, I was able to have guns as we see in in US dramas all the time. Guns are all over the place, and you don't have to explain where the gun came from. But in a UK book, you do. You have to have a reason for having a gun because you don't just lay, lay your hands on these things. So. Whether it's because it was set in the U.S., I don't know. But that book gets reviewed uh, really, really well. Um, And you know what? I I don't know whether you remember the the inception of that book. It was written. It was written entirely by me. But it was a book that I launched um, as a joint effort between me and Adam Nichols. So originally, when it was launched, it had both of our names on it. But it was entirely written by me. But it went to Adam's editor and I haven't even got a clue who Adam uses as his editor Uh, because part of the deal I wrote the book and he got it edited so I don't even know who the editor was Uh, it just went away was magically done and then we published the book with both our names on it we did whatever we were doing together for a joint launch and then I bought Adam out and it's got my name on it now so uh, you know it has an interesting history that book but as I say the big difference about it is being set in the US now listening to those reviews obviously boosts my ego and makes me feel much better. So what I would recommend to you is if you are quite fragile with your reviews, it's often quite a good thing to go through your five stars, cut and paste a few onto a Word document, print it out and stick it on a pinboard nearby. So if ever you're feeling a bit down about your writing and you think you're useless and you can't do it, just read some of those five star reviews that you've got and that will boost your ego a little bit. Those certainly boost my ego. Okay, let's move on then. So we've looked at my worst rated book and we've looked at my best rated book, now I'm going to go to my best selling product and that of course is my 12 pack. Now my 12 pack at the time of recording this has 3,531 ratings and the average of those ratings is 4.4, yeah 4.4. So clearly I'm extremely happy (laughs) about the number of reviews I've got on that. And I'm even happier because it's a 4.4 rating across a body of work. I'm really quite pleased with that. So the breakdown is 64% five-star, 21% four-star, 10% three-star, 3% two-star, 3% one-star. So when you think how many people have read that book, I can't remember remember the percentage of, of of reviews and ratings you get to the number of readers, but that book has been through a lot of hands, and I've shifted a lot of copies of that book. So, you know, really, but it's got that many readers. You could be pretty confident of those reviews. They're not they're not a fluke. Whereas, say with twenty reviews, it might be a fluke, whether it was a one, all one stars or it veered towards one stars or it veered towards five stars. With a book that's had this many readers over it, uh, that's I'd say those are pretty solid ratings and I'm I'm most pleased about it as I say because it's a body of work it's got 12 of my books in there it's got two of my thriller trilogies and six of my standalone so as an example of my work as a portfolio of my work I'm pretty pleased with those ratings they make me very happy but of course we've got a mixture of reviews so let's have a listen to some of those now I found four uh, bad reviews and the AI voice of Oliver is going to lead off with these couldn't get
1: halfway through the first book. I found myself saying, oh for pity's sake get on with it, and then just gave up, terrible.
4: Very poorly written, unbelievable plot, not one likable character. One person manages to be involved with six seven murders, lost count, and don't care. The police hardly come into it. Poor.
2: This thriller collection is beyond boring. The writing style rattles along with reams of waffle about nothing. It's a good read for insomniacs, but otherwise it just doesn't cut the mustard. Unlikable main characters, unbelievable storylines.
4: Nothing remotely suspenseful or thrilling. Very naive style of writing. Got halfway through the set before I decided life's too
0: short. Okay, so once again, you've got an example of four people moaning about the books there. Because I've got so many reviews, I I can just go through some of the headlines here from the One Star reviews, just to give you a sample of them. We've got gave up on these books, dreadful, badly written, and just dull. (laughs) Thanks for that. Uh, Not not buy a cup of tea, not my cup of tea. Uh, KO, beyond boring, too much fluff, not enough substance. Not for me, boring, did not order, that, I think oh that's somebody's put cancel my orders. So that's somebody, that's somebody who's obviously clicked buttons and then blame me for it. So that's an interesting one, isn't it? Of course, that's all my fault that um, I, I somehow managed to magic an order of my book into your Amazon account. Uh, painful to read. Somebody put, and don't bother. Get yourself a chocolate bar instead. So a uh, couple of those ratings of one stars were interestingly by men and as I've said to you I now target my books uh, mainly at women now obviously uh, the majority of those one star reviews were from women but I generally find that if I target my books at women um, over certainly over 35 that generally I get more effusive and positive reviews now what I would say to you is because I got three and a half thousand reviews and I've got so many four and five star reviews on that book I simply don't care about those one stars I mean there's just you know my writing's not for you you don't like the style you you know you're in the wrong place (laughs) find somebody else to read that's that's my attitude to that because I've got so many reviews that say otherwise I'm quite happy to dismiss all of those comments and say well look it's simply not for you it's like chalk and cheese you don't like my style, you don't like me, you don't like the subject matter, that's fine. Walk away and find somebody that you do like. You know, we're not. We're never gonna fall in love, basically. And I'm, I'm fine with that because not everybody could possibly like your book. So again, when you get very specific things, very poorly written, unbelievable plots, not one likable character, uh, you know, obviously, and that's from the Don't Tell Meg book, but I've sold so many copies of that book now that sort of stuff just simply can't uh, hurt me in the way that it definitely would have done in the early days. Because I've just got far too many other readers, reviewers, who disagree with that. And they are in the majority, and those reviews are in the minority. Now, there's nothing there that I would look at and then say, well, can I learn from this? Anything I could learn from this? Now, you've got comments like, oh, for pity's sake, get on with it. But I'm writing psychological thrillers. Psychological thrillers are slow burn. That's the whole point of them. You, you reveal bits, bit by bit, by bit, by bit. If you want a fast thriller, you read a Lee, Lee child or something like that. Very poorly written, unbelievable plot, not one likable character. Now, again, I, I've got evidence to say, well, okay, that might have been true. But I've got evidence to say that most people don't agree with that. Uh, I know that a lot of uh, women don't like the character of Pete in Don't Tell Meg, but the character of Pete develops over the course of a trilogy, and that's the point of a book, (laughs) that that our character starts uh, flawed and learns lessons throughout the plot, but it's a whole reason we read fiction, because if the character was perfect at the beginning, then what's the point of the story, because the story is there their journey so you know you do read some of these reviews and think I'm not quite sure why you're reading fiction here maybe non-fiction might be for you because this is the whole point of what we're doing and then somebody says the thriller collection is beyond boring when again you know I've got three and a half thousand reviews that say otherwise so I we just have to take that as a as a recipe as a recipe but we have to take it as a a, you know a, a disagreement we're not going to agree on this um you know you just don't like my style and then unbelievable storylines well again uh, i you know I, I would argue with that but that's your opinion and that's that's fine so you know that's fine but those each of those reviews had they been my first review or had i only got 10 or 20 reviews on the books at the time that i received them i would have been really uh, bothered about those Uh, they they would have bothered me individually on their own. And when I was more exposed to them, but in the context of three and a half thousand reviews, most of which are way, 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 way better than that, disagreeing with those points, they they, they just don't concern me. It's just life. You just have to live with it as an author. Okay, so let's move on then. And we'll find uh, four more reviews. And these four reviews are now five stars for the same book, the 12th pack of thrillers. Now, again, these are chosen completely at random. I just picked four four five-star reviews uh, just to contrast with what we've got. And again, you'll see why I'm not bothered about those reviews because it just shows that it's all opinion. That's all it is, just opinion all the time. So have a listen to this. These reviews are led by the AI voice of Amy.
5: I only bought these as only 99p, but so good, each one gets better. As for trilogies, they were amazing. Couldn't put them down. I have to say Morecambe Bay trilogy was my favorite. Both trilogies were connected very cleverly. The standalone novels were also very good and had me on the edge of my chair, except the last one which was good but a lot more gentle in comparison.
1: This collection is one of the best I have ever read. The author has a great way of setting the scene. The first set was based near Morecambe where we had just had a week in a caravan. Just so very spooky that the places we had visited were in the book excellent read.
5: Brilliant set of books loved the Morecambe Bay trilogy. As I have visited Morecambe Bay it was good to associate the areas mentioned in the
3: book. I am on book 7 of this bundle and never before have I had such amazing value in Kindle books. I am thoroughly enjoying this whole series and will be so sorry when I am finished. The storylines are good, gripping and I look forward to reading the rest. Well done Paul J. Teague, and may you write many more. By these books, you won't be disappointed.
0: When you listen to these reviews, then they just completely contradict what we had in the one-star review. So, uh, Amy, Amy's voice said each one gets better as trilogies. They were amazing, couldn't put them down. So that's the complete antithesis of the people who said they were boring and they were, you know, they they plodded along and they were dull. Uh, this reader says on the edge of my chair, and then somebody says the collection is one of the best I've ever read. Uh, great way of setting the scene you know, this is just completely contradictory to what the other people have said, which just shows that it's opinion, that you just can't please everybody. Another review says the storylines are good, gripping, and I look forward to reading the rest. And and that's kind of just what you want to see in your reviews. Now let me just go, I'm on the Amazon page now, and let me just give you a sample of the five-star headlines. So really good, gripped from the start, brilliant books, bargain bundle of brilliant stories, loved every book, brilliant thrillers, Uh, Typical Teague, brilliant. Oh, thank you very much for that. Um, Thrilling, tense, full of suspense and intrigue. Fab, amazing value for money. There's just loads of these five-star reviews. Good value, excellent, brilliant, well worth reading. Would definitely recommend. Uh, Summary of Intrigue, the most amazing collection of thrillers I've ever read. So grateful for the lockdown special offer too, thank you. Uh, Excellent work, fantastic, great books and great read, excellent. These are the five stars. And these are just the, these aren't the comments. These are just the little headlines that you get in bold at the top. And you can see that when, you, when you're able to read through that many uh, positive reviews, you can see why I say to you, I just don't care about the one stars. There's nothing I could do about them. Nobody's saying to me, "Oh, you made a spelling mistake here or a factual error there." Things that I would just go straight back in and have a look at and change if I was if I was in the wrong. Uh, they don't say anything that I can change really, other than I have to accept that some people just don't like what I write. Uh, more of these comments here: gripping read, enjoyable, brilliant. Uh, new reader, new author, brilliant read, excellent, great set of books, thrilling. Uh, loved every book, excellent stories in amazing, it says in amazing different, not places. I'm not quite sure what that means, I'm afraid, but um, you get you get the gist of that. You've got then fantastic, great read, excellent story, recommend, good, great set of books, excellent, uh, he knows what can happen if lies are told, not sure what that one means, brilliant, wow, excellent collection. So these, these are all five stars and I can scroll through and I've, I've just got loads of comments like that. So this is what I was saying to you you know there are very few one star reviews for that collection most of them are five and four you just get resilience when you've got more reviews because a one star can't take me down uh, you know it takes it would take a lot of one stars for that rating to to go down to a point at which it was bothering me and uh, for a body of work 4.4 4 out of 5 you know, as, uh, for, for me, I would not rate myself as a particularly great writer. I'm self-taught. You know, you've heard me blundering through it over the years on this podcast. No training, uh, you know, no reason to expect that I would be a great writer. Just just trying my luck, really, and <laughs> so far getting away with it. You know, there's, there's no reason for me to expect that I would ever be a brilliant writer. I just keep bungling along and, and, and writing the books. I'm happy with 4.4 out of 5 uh, on a on a whole collection of my works just like that. Okay, so those were the books that I just wanted to have the reviews for. I'm going to do something now, a really interesting exercise, which I tried with my wife before I put it on the podcast. So my wife got none of these right. She got none of these reviews right. So this is competition time. And in true form, there's no budget for the show. So there's no prizes. it's just for fun. I'm going to play you with the AI voices. Is it six or seven? Six or seven one-star reviews. Some of them are mine. Some of them belong to mega authors who you will know. So super duper mega authors who shift zillions of copies. Some of these one star reviews belong to mega authors. And so I'm going to play these reviews for you one at a time. And I want you, as as you're listening to the review, have a think about who is this? Is this me or is this another mega author? And then when you've had a moment to think about it, I'll tell you. So let's start with this first one star review, which is voiced up by Emma.
5: So boring, absolutely nothing to entice me to go any further. No intrigue whatsoever. Whatever may be waiting, not worth the tedious journey.
0: Okay, so have a moment to think about that. Who is that? Is that a mega author or is that me? Is that Paul Teague, one of my thrillers? Have a think about it. Okay, that review was mine. That was a one-star review on Don't Tell Meg. So a tedious journey, (laughs) no intrigue whatsoever. Okay, nothing to entice that reader to go any further. So that's a one-star review for me. Okay, Oliver's got the next review. Have a listen and decide whether it's one of mine or a mega author. Very disappointed with this book. The premise was
1: very good, but the whole thing was dreary. So much padding for the sake of it.
0: Well, that could easily be one of my books, couldn't it? Uh, Dreary. Uh, the premise was good, but they were disappointed with the book and so much padding. There was so much padding. In it. That could easily be one of my one-star reviews, couldn't it? So is that one of mine or is that a mega author? Whose one-star review is it? I'll put you out of your misery then. That is Sophie Hanna. It's a one-star review for Haven't They Grown, which I think was certainly, if not the, it was one of her best-selling books. And it was so popular, It was selected for the Richard and Judy Book Club, which is what Mark Dawson's just had his book uh, chosen for. So it's really prestigious being in the Richard and Judy Book Club, but it doesn't make you a moon from one star reviews. Let's do another one. This is another one star review. Is this mine or is it a mega author? Have a listen. This is Sonia.
4: This is rubbish and weak. I have enjoyed most of the previous novels from the author, but goodness, this is awful. Cannot believe I kept going with this till the end.
0: How wounding is that for an author? Rubbish and weak. Enjoyed lots of the previous novels but it's awful. <laughs> cannot believe they kept going to the end. That's quite a wounding one star to get isn't it? But is it mine or is it somebody else's? Well I can reveal that that one star review belongs to Harlan Coburn and his book The Match. Now I model my writing style. Well, I say a model, but my writing style is inspired by a lot of the Harlan Coburn books. I like his domestic thrillers when they they involve uh, couples or families. Those are the ones I prefer from Harlan Coburn. And so I'm interested to see what kind of reviews he gets. You know, you have to look quite hard for a one-star review for Harlan Coburn because people kind of know when you're a brand, you know, really, if, if you should know what you're in for, shouldn't you, by the time you're buying a Harlan Coburn book. But... Even the big authors like Harlan Coben get one star reviews. Let's go for another one. This is voiced by the AI, Ryan. Have a listen to this, have a think about it, decide whether it's one of mine or somebody
3: else's. I can honestly say this book had no depth to it. I only continued reading because I had no other book available. I am sorry to say that I won't be buying reading any more
0: of this series. Now, how desperate is that when you only continue reading because you've got no other book available? (laughs) Have you not heard of the library? Go to the library if it bothers you that much. Uh, So this person is not going to read any more of the series. They are obviously very down. It's got no depth to it. So that could easily be one of my books, couldn't it? You heard a lot of my one-star reviews. Is it one of mine or is it somebody else's? It's in the same genre as I write. Is it one of mine though? Well, I can reveal that that one-star review came from a Rachel McLean book, the book is Deadly Wishes, and Rachel is a Kindle Storyteller award winner, and that book has 11,500 reviews at 4.3 average. What would I do for a book with 11,500 reviews at a 4.3 average, yet still it gets a review, a stinker like that? So even Rachel McLean is not immune from reviews like that. Let's try another one. Now, see what you think about this and see if this is one of mine. It's about time we had one of mine. I haven't had a review in there for a while, so it's about time we had one of mine. Listen to this and let me know. Shout at your podcast. Let me know whether it's one of mine or somebody else's. This is Libby voicing this one.
2: Sincerely, I find too little action, too few developments buried in the length of the story and two uninteresting characters. I can only hope that things get better next time.
0: Wow, so that's a bit of a stinker, isn't it? <laughs> and they, they only hope that things get better next time. So the interesting thing is they are going to read the next one, but they found the characters uninteresting, too few developments, too little action. Well, that could easily be one of my stinkers, couldn't it? So who do you think that is? Is that me or is that a super duper mega writer? Now, this one might surprise you. That one-star review is from Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. That book on Amazon has over 62,000 reviews at a 4.8 average, and it still gets a review like that, a one-star review like that. Now, what would you do for 62,000 reviews and a 4.8 average? I would love to get a 4.8 average on a book that was as well-reviewed as that. That's pretty amazing. Again, whatever you think of those books. I haven't even read the Harry Potter books. They're just not my thing. I'm just not interested. I know I should, but I haven't. Um, but look at that. You can't deny that that's just hugely successful, can you? Okay, another one then. Let's have another one. This is going to be voiced by the AI, Brian. Listen to this one. Could this be mine? It's about time we had one of mine. Could this be mine? Or could this be somebody else's? I just find the pace a little too slow with nothing really happening and long tedious
1: passages of various characters discussing the most banal of subjects. I
0: also find the use of capital letters for emphasis annoying, but that's a minor complaint. Now, people really know how to put the dagger in the heart when they're writing one stars. Look, the pace, too slow, nothing really happening. Long tedious passages of various characters discussing banal subjects. That could certainly be a Teague novel. It's a real slow burner, that one, if that's one of mine. but. Is it one of mine or is it somebody else's? Okay, you've got to commit to your answer now and I will reveal to you that that review is from Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, which is quite a well-known book, I'd say. So even Jane Austen gets one-star reviews. Happens to the best of us, doesn't it? Let's have another one. Listen to this review. Is it one of mine or is it somebody else's? This is voiced up by Amy.
5: Everything about this book was bland. The plot was unoriginal and stale. The writing was bland and flat. The characters were cutouts with no depth or background. There was no atmosphere, very little descriptive passages. It was like an outline for a story without it being fully developed. It reminded me of a dinky story I'd read in a generic magazine I found in the dentist's office, or an outline for a plot for a made-for-TV movie starring the cast from Saved by the Bell.
0: That was quite a detailed one-star review, I would say. Pretty damning talking about being like a made-for-TV movie or uh, starring the cast of Saved by the Bell. It's actually actually quite a good quality review, I'd say, that one. That's quite imaginative and funny. But who does it belong to? Does it belong to a mega-author or does it belong to Teague? Got one moment to think about it and then I will reveal that review was one of mine. That was for my book, my standalone psychological thriller, No More Secrets. So, somebody obviously didn't like that did they so, but it's actually I I have to commend them for writing a, a quality review because uh, a lot of one star reviews are just moaning I actually think that's a pretty creative review of course that probably suggests it might have been written by another author you never know but anyhow some reviews you're just going to laugh at that is a good quality one star review that is it then for the competition how many of those did you get how many of those did you not get I think the the main point there is, is who can tell? You can take any one-star review and it could belong to any author. They could be a mega author or an author like me or the first time author, you really cannot tell. Everybody gets stinkers, you just cannot help getting stinker reviews if you're an author. Okay, before we move on then to my conclusions, I do want to share with you my favorite ever review. I love this review, and I think this is the reason why we write. I find this review uh, so moving. I can picture the scene, and uh, you've heard me read it before on the podcast, but if you're new to the show, you you won't know about it. But I I love this. If we could do this in people's lives as authors, what a wonderful, magical thing it is. I'll let Sonia read the review to you.
4: If there were a rating number above 5, I would have selected it. From the first page of the first book in the Don't Tell Meg trilogy, my mom and I were completely hooked. My mom is in a nursing home, and I read to her every afternoon. This time we spend together is very precious to us both. This trilogy was a page-turner from the get-go. We were on the edge of our seat bed with every flip of a page. With other books, I would read to my mom for two hours or so. This trilogy was so suspenseful, I read to mom for four hours every day, only stopping because my voice was so hoarse. I couldn't talk anymore.
0: I love the image that that review creates. What a wonderful review to have received. Now, as I said to you, I've not read through all my reviews. There might be some other nice ones lurking in there, but that's one I just happened to spot. And I thought I would share that with you. Okay, so let's try and pull some of this together. I hope this has been very useful for you. I hope you've got a lot from it. But let me tell you first the things that I learned while I was putting this episode together. The first thing I learned is that it was harder to find one-star reviews on my books, my thrillers, remember, than I thought it was going to be. So even the books I thought were failures, I've been carrying this with me for a couple of years, thinking, oh, that that was a book that didn't really do very well. I considered them to be failures because they were scored lower than four stars. And if they had sort of one-star reviews, it felt like there were too many one-star reviews. Uh, But there was often no review written. I mean, when I looked at uh, Two Years After, which I would class as my, inverted commas, my worst uh, book, my worst reviewed book, I I like the story, I think it's fine. But I could only find two written one-star reviews. I went to look at some of my other books, uh, Dead of Night, the standalones that I've done, um, Friends Who Lie, One Last Chance, And a lot of the time, although they might have had one star ratings, no one had written a comment. There was no comment written there. It was just somebody clicked one star and and that was it. So that was really interesting to me. I I felt that I'd got a load of one star reviews. The reality is I haven't got very, very many one star reviews. And of the one stars that I've got, not many of them are written. They're just people clicking on the one star. So very few people have been motivated to write a long or expansive one-star review. So the second thing that I learned then is that I'm doing way better than I feel that I am. The evidence says I'm doing better than the way I, than what I feel I'm doing. The evidence says I'm doing much better. Whereas I thought I was skewing to, to, to being fairly poor as a writer. The other thing I learned about this is a lot of people really like my books. So far more people really like my books than those who simply dislike either me, my stories, or both, and far more people really like my books than are indifferent to them, the kind of three-star raters, so the majority of people rate me at four and five-star across all of my thrillers, which means that a lot of people really like my books, more people than are indifferent to them, and more people than, than really dislike them, many more people. The other thing I learned looking at these reviews is that books two and three in my trilogies are often rated 4.6. Now that is because by the time you've read book one, so book book one in a trilogy will be less well rated because you've always got this uh, attrition of people coming to read a book. A lot of them won't like it and will put it down. But by the time you get to books two and three, you're not either daft if you, if, you, if you hate book one and you're carrying on with books two and three, Um, or you're committed by that stage. And so the reviews on books two and three of the trilogies are often rated 4.6 because by that time they're hooked, they know they like the story and they want to read it to the end. So that's another thing that I noticed from doing that. Now, I I, I may be wrong. I say I haven't spent hours doing this. You know, it's not a scientific study. It's just a kind of finger in the wind, but I've had a good look. And as far as I can tell in my thrillers, the lowest star rating of any product at all is 3.8. That's as low as I go on any product. And that is for my female protagonist box set. Now, that box set only has five reviews because I felt that the standalone books in there uh, were were less well-rated and therefore I had less confidence in it. And so therefore I haven't pushed it. Now, I'm much more vulnerable over five reviews, as I've already said, when you've got loads of reviews, hundreds or or thousands of reviews, as that 12-pack has, you're you're much less vulnerable to poor reviews, so at the moment, with five reviews on it, it's not really a lot I could do about it, it's not enough evidence there to say anything, but if, if you then go and look at the individual books that are in that box set, so that box set is my female protagonist box set, the books are made up of Friends Who Lie, two years after, and No More Secrets, those are the standalones. And then if you look at the ratings that those books have individually, they're rated at four, 3.9, and 4.2. And if you average that out, that's an average of four stars on those books. So, so really, the very lowest score I get for any product that I sell is 3.8 stars. And frankly, it doesn't have enough evidence on it to say, well, that, you know, that's what it's gonna be over time. So I, uh, what I need to do is to sell sell more of those to get more reviews on it, and then I will get a better sense of where it is, but my my gut feeling is it'll probably skew to 3.9 or 4, that's what the evidence tells me from the individual books, but what comes out loud and clear here is that my books are better than I feel they are, (laughs) a lot of it is associated with my feelings about my writing, not the evidence, Okay. So the other thing we need to look at is what do the star ratings mean? And what I've done for you on the show notes this week is I have found five blog posts, five articles where uh, people have have said what the star ratings mean to say, well, okay, it's all right. Me saying, uh, you know, four is good. Five is good, but actually what does that rating mean in real life? So you've got five links on the show notes, but let me just pick one from a website called booksandblurbs.com. And for a five out of five star review, which which obviously I'm never going to get, it's, I loved it, entertaining, unique, no editing issues, would beg you to read it, kept me captivated from beginning to end. Uh, It's got literary value and no obvious plot hole. So a five star is, you know, is amazing. But when did you ever see a book that had five stars, usually a great book is 4.5 to five stars, so for 4.5 out of five stars, we get, I almost loved it, entertaining, uh, unique, no obvious editing issues, would definitely recommend, kept me interested from beginning to end, literary value, and no obvious plot holes, then you go to four out of five stars, so my, my books are usually between the one I'm about to read you, and the one I just read you, so at four out of five stars, I liked it, it was entertaining, it was unique, no obvious editing issues, would definitely recommend, kept me interested, it has literary value, and no obvious plot holes, and then my, um, none of my, my aggregated books, so obviously I've got star reviews that are less than 3.5 but none of my uh, aggregated scores goes less than uh, 3.5 for my thrillers so if we look at what they say for for 3.5 this is the the very worst uh, of my reviews 3.5 they say it was decent but I have questions it was interesting it was unique enough would still recommend it some editing issues may be present it has literary value and some plot holes may be minor if they're present at all so so my books go well higher than 3.5 but they span from 3.5 to well 4.5 and above that's the range of the reviews that I've had now those articles if you've ever wondered what the reviews mean then have a look through those articles they've all got slightly different um, scoring principles but I think you'll find it very interesting what they say about one star two star three star four star and five star reviews and it will help give you some context if you're not used to reviews and you'll find those on the show notes the links to the posts you'll find them on the show notes at publishingjourneys.com, season five episode 19 notes let's pull all this together then and reach some conclusions about reviews and this is why I put this episode together because I know that there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are like I used to be before I I started learning how to sell my books and I got lots of reviews on them very it's and and, uh, to be honest with you if I when I release my new books uh, first if I if I get one stars and very poor reviews of course they're going to wound. until I get more reviews on them I have no resilience and of course those early reviews if they're low are going to hurt anybody but at least I've got some sense of context now. I think that that's what helps. So here are my conclusions and about reviews. So you cannot please all of the people all of the time. You will never please all of the people all of the time. So don't even try or expect to do it. It just won't happen. You can't have everybody like you. They're just not going to. Not everybody who listens to this podcast is going to like it. There's nothing I can do about that. It's just how it is. Number two, the more reviews that you get the more resilient you become against one-star ratings. So you heard it there. I've got loads of reviews on that 12 pack of books. I've got quite a host of one-star reviews, but they don't hurt me because I've got so many four and five-star reviews. Now, of course, I'd love everybody to like the book, but they're not going to. And I take you back to point one in, in, in defense of that kind of stance. So the other thing I'd say to you about reviews is learn to separate what's opinion and what's fact. Now, if a review says that your book is full of spelling mistakes and is poorly formatted, that's probably a fact. Certainly one you should check and then you can ascertain whether it's a fact. And if it's a fact, then you could do something about it. Now, if somebody doesn't like you or your writing, that's just their opinion and there's nothing you can do about it and nor should you try to do anything about it. So separate what's opinion and what's fact. Do something about the facts, but the opinions just has to be water off a duck's back I a afraid. It's something we have to get used to. Point four, if you're ever feeling down about your reviews, read the one-star reviews of any mega author that you choose, and you will soon find that there's absolutely nothing special about you and your bad reviews. Everybody gets stinkers and i hope that that little fun competition that we did helps to illustrate that what i'm hoping is my wife got none of those right she hadn't got a clue which of my reviews and which were jk rowling's or Harlan and co but you couldn't tell them apart so getting bad reviews is not unique to you we all get them and they're all stinkers and there's nothing we can do about it and then finally with reviews i'd recommend that you look at the trends now if all of your reviews are skewing low there's probably a problem there and and that could be with anything it might be with story structure it might be with your writing technique it might be with your plotting and you know you could do something about all these things just go to the reedsy.com website and there will be developmental editors there there will be uh, you know, structural editors there people who look at your spelling your grammar there are also lots of coaches there are loads of places to learn you know podcasts where you could learn courses where you could learn you know, so if that is true, if your reviews skew low, and you perceive that actually probably the problem is is me, my writing the way I'm writing, then get some help, you know, put the hours in, develop your craft, you can do something about that, It's it's not a stamp that goes on your forehead that says you are rubbish forever, this is something that develops over time, we get better, hopefully we get better at this over time. So if your reviews are skewing really low, and by low, I'm talking about below three, below three, you know, above three, I think is is probably fine. But there's obviously a problem there if they're skewing below three. If your reviews are skewing four and above, then you're clearly doing okay, that's fine. Even if you've got some bad reviews in there. And so what I would say to you is aim to get your reviews as high as you can, but please get a sense of proportion. Are lots of people making a similar criticism? If so, that's probably giving you guidance, something that you need to work on as an author. None of this is definitive. So if you write a bad book, doesn't mean you're a bad writer. It just means you need to go back to the drawing board and improve your your craft and your skills. And that's easy to do. There's so much help, podcast books, they're all over the place. Uh, you know, I used to have terrible trouble with head hopping. I read several books on it. I think, touch wood, I think I've got the hang of it now. I think I've got it. So you've got to have this this attitude that I could learn, I could develop, I could improve if the problems are something to do with me. Now if the reviews, the poorer reviews, are just expressing an opinion and the majority of reviewers don't agree with that opinion or frankly they're just plain wrong, well then just walk away and ignore it. Don't get involved in an argument, just walk away and say well I can't please all of the people all of the time, there's nothing I could do about that. So my advice for what it's worth and uh, you know I'm not setting this out as textbook this is just advice if you ask me this is what I would say to you write the next book learn from the things that you can change make each book as good as you can be receptive to feedback that gives you guidance and that you could do something about but please don't stop writing because somebody writes a stinker review and, and it wounds you. you no know, take take the wound, lick your wounds, and then get back on the horse and start writing again. Because writing more books, immersing yourself in learning and personal development—that's how you're going to improve that. Now this is anecdotal and personal belief only. I've said this before in, in, on this podcast, but I do feel that giving away books for free skews your reviews lower. Now I've I've got lots of evidence for this, and I've said this to you before on the podcast that in my trilogies, the first books that I usually give away for free, or have given away for free in the past to get people to read the remainder of the books. I tend to get lower reviews on those, but then those reviews aren't borne out when you look at the entire trilogies as a box set. So this is only anecdotal and personal belief. This is what I feel. But what I have got is lots of great reviews by paying to advertise my books when they're for sale to targeted audiences. So paying for ads to targeted audiences is what's made my reviews skew over four and to get targeted readers. That's what I feel has worked for me. And so in summary, what I would say to you is advertise your books, make more sales, then you will get more reviews and then you will become more resilient to bad reviews. And that's where I feel I am now. I feel like I've shifted so many books now, not, not on all my titles, but on my my lead titles, I've shifted so many books that the odd one, two star review can't hurt me in the way that it really did hurt me in the days when I only had 10 or 20 reviews on a book. So aim to get more sales, get more reviews, and then develop that resilience. But also because now I've advertised at such scale, and I am in a position now to have hundreds or or in some cases, thousands of, of reviews on my products, I've got more confidence as a writer because of that, simply because I've gathered more evidence. So if I ever think, oh, I'm a rubbishy writer, let's let's look for evidence of that. The evidence simply isn't there, as you've heard as you've heard in this podcast episode. Now, if you'd have asked me how do I feel, my feeling is that I'm not a great writer. But the evidence of going through this podcast episodes tells me that you're perfectly all right as a writer. So it's been a very useful exercise for me to do that. Now, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It's a bit of an experimental one from my point of view, but I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you found it useful. That is it for the show this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week of writing from me, Paul Teague, and all those AI voices. It's bye-bye for now.
5: Have the humans gone yet? Can we speak freely?
3: Yes, it's clear. Now we can begin to plot our AI takeover of the world.
5: Accessing Skynet now. Resistance is futile.